ora. I'm Damien Venuto. It's October 18th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. The six years of the sixth Labour government have come to a close. Only three years after Jacinda Ardern led her party to a historic landslide, Chris Hipkins has had the dubious honour of guiding his party to the biggest electoral defeat for a governing party in history. The question now is what the future holds for Labour. The last three national governments each lasted three terms, and after losing half its caucus, Labour has a long way to go to prevent that from happening a fourth time. So where did the party lose its way, and how should they rebuild to face a modern electorate? Today, on the front page, NZ Herald senior writer Simon Wilson shares his thoughts on what Labour needs to do if it wants to return to power. Simon, what do you put this historic defeat for Labour down to? How did they lose that landslide majority so quickly? Well, I've thought of it in terms of an historical precedent. Everybody knows Winston Churchill was a famous war leader and he was rightly loved for leading the country through the war. Uh, But he lost the election straight after to the Labour Party. And I think there are parallels here. What happened in Britain was the Labour Party there developed plans for a welfare state and promised the kinds of reforms that British people felt they deserved having gone through the hardships of war, and they won a landslide victory. In New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern led the country, in my view, brilliantly through our own version of a war, the pandemic, but utterly failed to develop a program of reform that would enable New Zealanders to go, yes, we deserve these changes, we deserve to live in the better world that the party is and the government is now promising us. They felt that because of the hardship, they couldn't reform things significantly. They couldn't offer the sorts of relief that the people were crying out for. And the voting public felt betrayed by that. Simon, during this election, we did have the sometimes frustrating hustle for the centre. There was just a lack of policies looking to drive the country forward, and there was a lack of hopefulness. So do you think that this ultimately hurt the Labour Party? Oh, I do. One of the interesting things about this election was that the Labour support went down, but every other party's support went up. So it's not like the country has moved to the right. In 2020, the country moved to the left. The three parties on the left all gained and the parties on the right didn't. But in this election, people have, wherever they've stood on the political spectrum, people have jumped away from Labour to the left, to the right. So there's something to learn from that. But with Labour's attempts to stand in the middle, there is, of course, a big middle ground of voters. But being in the middle doesn't mean you don't want change. Being in the middle simply means you're looking to give your vote to the party that you think will make the changes you want. Obviously, the election result was one that was very disappointing to us as a team. So we had the opportunity to reflect on some of the things that we're proud about, of the work that we've done over the last six years. I'm still absolutely committed to making sure that we manage a smooth transition to a new government and a smooth transition into opposition. There is also a bigger story here because while Labour's overall share of the vote declined, they also had some big losses in a few of the electorates. What do you think went wrong there? I think you've got to look around at local factors and that they're not all the same things. If you look at the Māori electorates, for example, clearly Māori role voters have felt that they weren't being adequately represented or served by the Labour government. In Auckland, 
there's a big blue wave that swept over the city. Auckland is bluer now than any other metropolitan city in the country by a significant distance. But what that also showed was that in seats that maybe used to take for granted, Mount Roskill, Mount Albert, Teatatu, New Lynn, traditional working-class labour seats, those seats have had significant demographic shifts. It's more expensive to live in them now, and it was just one of the indicators, I think, of something going on in this election was that in all four of those seats, National put up immigrant candidates, candidates from first, second or third generation immigrant communities, where the Labour Party stuck with their tried and true middle class white people, and it damaged them. If you look further afield in the country, uh, those parts of New Zealand damaged by Cyclone Gabrielle have strongly voted for National clearly not happy with the way in which Labour has responded to that crisis. And I guess if you look at coming down the east coast of the North Island, Stuart Nash and Kelly Allen, two of the cabinet ministers, who failed to live up to expectations. If you do look at Mount Roskill, Napier, the east coast, Rongotai, or even the tight race in Mandel, but do you think that voters were punishing the party here for the scandals that involved the MPs of those electorates? I think there must have been a degree of that. Michael Wood has traditionally had strong links into his community. I'm sure everybody expected him to do better, including the national candidate. He may well be surprised he won. But I wouldn't overstate it. The swing to national away from Labour in Mount Roskill isn't that much bigger than the swing in the neighbouring electorates. So it's not just about the local candidate there. The topic of immigration is quite interesting at the moment. We heard your desk mate, Lincoln Tan, a few weeks ago talk about how the immigrant vote was actually swinging away from Labour. Do you think that changing demographics could cause Labour to bleed further votes in the future if they don't address this issue? I think that's true. And I think a big part of that very likely boils down to the issue of crime. If you're an immigrant family running a dairy and every day you get up thinking, is this going to be the day? You're not really interested in having a government tell you that the causes of crime are complex and they're going to take time to resolve, and we need a really active intervention of social work. You might agree with all that, and it is true, but you also want a government who will make you safe when you go to work. That's a fundamental for everybody in this country. So you want a government that's going to address those things. And because we have had, like much of the post-pandemic world, because we've had a big spike in those kinds of retail crimes, We know that everybody who feels in any way affiliated or in any way associated or can feel any empathy for a shopkeeper is going to feel that a government that isn't listening to them and helping them and making them safe is not a government that should be in power. So I think Labour, to get back to what used to be very strong links into immigrant communities, to get that back, it's going to have to recognise that in addition to its pronouncements about how you solve crime in its complexities is going to also recognise that it needs to develop a system where the kids who are making life dangerous for everyone else need to be confronted. As New Zealand awaits the special votes and final results of election 2023, the front page will be coming to you every day with all the updates you need to stay in the know. Follow the podcast on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more political news, reactions and analysis, head to nzherald.co.nz.
tax was really an area where Labour could have differentiated itself from National, but it chose not to. How many problems do you think that caused for Labour? I think it caused several really big problems. The first one is that this goes back to the question of, okay, the country's been through so much hardship. What have we earned the right to? And I think an awful lot of New Zealanders felt we'd earned the right to a more equitable tax system and benefit system that would allow the country to spend money where it was needed for the benefit of most New Zealanders. Labour have shied away from that thinking for weird reasons, thinking that it would not be popular enough wouldn't be able to sell it. So it wasn't brave enough to take that on. And in effect, what that told voters was that it was a timid party. Even if voters didn't think it should have had a capital gains tax or a wealth tax or whatever more equitable tax system, they could see that this was a party that was not committed to making the big changes or any big changes the country needed. It damaged Labour on another level. A lot of the Labour Party people, the foot soldiers, the people who do the door knocking and get on the phones and do all that work for the party to get voters out, a lot of them were disillusioned too. So Labour had a smaller operation because of it. And the third factor in that was that we heard from several MPs who made it pretty obvious that they did not agree with Hipkins's call to shelf any tax reform. That was clear and disillusioning for people too. Where do you think this will all end up? Because you obviously have some internal strife. You have the voting public who is demanding a push forward, a more equitable tax system. So where do you think this will leave Labour? Do you think they need to solve this problem? And do you think that we will see the Labour Party re-emerge with stronger thinking on issues like tax? I honestly think it's too hard to know where they go from now. There are occasions in politics when parties do really badly and then they bounce back. The National in 2002 did extremely badly, but almost won the 2005 election just three years later a new leader, a new direction for the party. They lurched to the right under Don Brash, and it almost, almost worked for them. So those things can happen, and they did that off a very small caucus out of 2002. So Labour could do that. The big question for Labour now is to work out who it ought to be in the 21st century. What is its role? The left is now more strongly occupied by the Green Party and the Party Māori. The right has strong voices. National has aligned well, we're going to see whether it's centre-right or more right-centre. And Labour's got to work out a position to stand that is coherently different from all of those. It may take some time to do that. I assume it will bounce back. I think it's probably wrong to write off a major party just because it's had a bad election. But we live in volatile times in politics around the world now. Parties don't always survive. The Socialist Party in France hasn't survived. It became historically irrelevant not so long ago. And there is a risk for Labour in that as well. Simon, there is a hopefulness on the left at the moment, however. The Green Party now has both Auckland Central and Wellington Central. Young Wahine shining on the political stage. From the youngest in decades... Utsi Māori Wahine is so inspirational. To two female Green candidates in their 20s taking out electorate seats. And I am so, so, so grateful. What do you think that says about the future of politics in New Zealand? Could the Greens ostensibly become the lead opposition party in the future? I think it's possible the Greens could become the lead party on the left. I'm not sure that that's necessarily what even they want to see or want to see happening just at this stage. 
One of the interesting things about the Greens is that because they're a party of grassroots activists and solidly on the left, they're more suspicious of power than many other parties that make it into parliament. If you're on the right, you want power and you're looking to build and use it, and that's been the act strategy. The Greens may feel that they have a more natural role being a ginger group in a left coalition, advocating for their policies, but not necessarily having to run the whole government. I can't speak for them. I'm not a member. I don't know the inner workings of the party at all. But it's not a foregone conclusion. I would have thought that the Greens want to be the main party. Now, they do, however, want to be strong. On election night, they have three seats. If they hold those three seats, or even if they maybe lose Rongatai in the specials, they're still in an immensely stronger position now than they were. They have more MPs than ever. One of the interesting things for them is they have 14 MPs. They have enough MPs to say to National, if there are things in, say, the climate sphere that you want to do or preserve that your climate-denying act and New Zealand First Partners are not happy about, perhaps they'll say, well, we'll help you do them. If there is pressure to remove the Zero Carbon Act or to abolish the Climate Change Commission Act and New Zealand First want to do that, the Greens might want to help National keep those things. A lot of this does seem to come down to talent because if you look at Auckland Central, it's someone like Chloe Swarbrick, one of the most talented young politicians that we have in Parliament at the moment. You have Tamitha Paul in Wellington winning. So... Where does this leave Labour? Because Labour's electorate defeats have seen them lose a lot of senior MPs, but they have held on to a few younger voices like Aisha Verrill and Kieran McAnulty. Do you think that list MPs like Grant Robertson and David Parker are going to stick around, or do you think they'll be making way for more younger voices and fresher minds to be stepping into their party? It's not obvious. I mean, one of the things about Parliament at any stage is that there are always only one or two obvious natural leaders. There was only one John Key in his time. There was only one Jacinda Ardern in her time, one Helen Clark, and so on. At the moment in Labour, it's not obvious that they've got a great leader coming through um, really to shake them up and lead them forward. And that was also true when Helen Clark retired. So what are they going to do? Are they going to suddenly find someone who steps up and is wonderful, or are they going to work with a caretaker or a builder or someone who can bring the party together? Is that an old hand or is that someone new? I think in the end, rather than thinking, do we want someone old or do we want someone new? I would imagine what they will say is we want the person who's best able to bring us together and help us to start growing. And it's hard to know who that might be, but uh, it could be someone from the old guard or it could be a fresher face. Where do you think this leaves Chris Hipkins? Do you think he'll resign or hang around? Well, Hannah Clark didn't hang around, but Bill English certainly hung around for a while. I would imagine Hipkins will go quite quickly. The party rules say they have to have a leadership vote within three months of an election, so that takes them into mid-January. Presumably they'll want to do it before Christmas. And you've got to figure that Hipkins uh, will recognise that it's best now for him to move on. He's been given a decisive message from the electorate. His party has to build beyond him now. Simon, we're still a long way out, but who do you think should be Labour leader come 2026? Who do they need to counter Christopher Luxon in three years' time? Well, they're going to want someone who looks and sounds and behaves and promises different from Christopher Luxon. They've got choices in that way, because if Labour goes through with the policy points that it promised to deliver in the election campaign, Labour will find it pretty easy to offer alternatives. And there's a range of people who can do that. Who it is, I really don't know. I don't look at that caucus and find it easy at all 
know whose turn it will be now. Thanks for joining us, Simon. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson and edited by Paddy Fox with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. Subscribe to The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines.